Acts chapter 4, beginning in verse 23. You don't have to stand. Remain seated. I'm going to read this out and then we'll begin. Acts chapter 4, 23 through 31. 23 through 31. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. If you look there at 31, may God bless the reading of his word. If you look there at 31, you will see it's kind of a a retelling of what happened in Acts in chapter 2. And I want you to keep that in the forefront of your mind as we go through this text. It's, it's really, really similar to what took place in Acts chapter 2 when the Spirit of God fell on the people on Pentecost. But let me recap real quick what we went over last week. Last week we looked at Peter and John before the council standing with the healed man. If you recall, there were three people there. They were standing before the council And Peter and John and the healed man was there. The council threatened them to not speak at all about Jesus. Threatened them. Told them not to speak at all about Jesus because they didn't want the gospel to spread. Basically what it boiled down to is they didn't want their position to be challenged. They didn't want their money taken away. And they didn't want to have to step down from what they believed because they were Sadducees. And if they believed in the resurrection, then there goes their position. Right? We learned last week and we do testify that you can't stop King Jesus. You cannot stop his message or the truth of the resurrection. For 2,000 years it has been going strong. And if the Lord tarries, it will go strong for another 2,000 years. Today we will look at the disciples who prayed, what they prayed, why, and how it relates to us. Now you say, Pastor, that's a lot and I've heard you preach before and you go a long time. That's true. But I'm going to try to cut it short when I get to where I need to go because I'm not going to get through all of it. So just please pay attention. Verse 23, listen to what it says. And when they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. They went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. 
Peter and John, they come back and report to the believers. Now, remember, how many believers were at this point that we know of? We had the 120 in the upper room. We had the 3,000 on the day of Pentecost. Then we had the 5,000 that were saved. That's not including others that might have been at this point. So this was no small crowd. Okay? The friends of God had gathered together. And John and Peter report back to them. Now, I'm not saying it was everybody. But I am saying that this is likely a very large crowd of people. Remember, it's going to resemble Acts chapter 2, where there was another large crowd. There was 120 in the upper room. They were worshiping and they were praising God. They were praying. And what happened? The Spirit of God fell upon them. So here we have a gathering of the children of God together. And what do they begin to do? They report to them what had happened. And then they begin to pray. They begin to pray. Peter and John come back. They testify what happened. The chief priests, they tell them, no more speaking in the name of Jesus. No more. So the question stands, is it better to obey God or man? If that's the case, if it's better to obey God, then we've got to put our money where our mouth is. Because it's going to cost us. It's going to cost us. See, the Sadducees were not willing for it to cost them. But Peter and John was willing for it to cost them. This is why they're praying for boldness, because they know that they are weak. They had just been threatened. And the answer here is always God, to obey God. In fact, the very thing that they are told not to speak about, Peter and John, the very thing that they are told not to speak about is the very thing that they are going to be doing in verses 23 through 31. Do you understand that? They say, don't speak, don't say anything at all about the name of Jesus, about the resurrection. Don't speak about him. And what's the very first thing that they do? They go back to the believers and they say, this is what they said. Don't speak about Jesus. In turn, that's what actually they are doing. You don't understand. The Sadducees did not want the name of Jesus spread anymore. Not uttered, not spoken, not wrote down. They didn't want it spread at all. And so they go back. And this is the very thing for the next few verses that they do. Is they speak about Christ. Remember church. Acts chapter 2. The church was called to be a speaking church. Tongues of fire was set upon them. They were called to be a speaking church, speaking of Jesus to those that they came in contact with. And we know that the gospel spread in Acts chapter 2. Well, it's no different right here in this passage of Scripture. They say, don't do it. God tells us to do it. God tells us to do it. The problem that we have nowadays 
is that we are not doing it the way that we should. We're not doing it with boldness. We have to apologize for our stances. We got to grow up, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. You want to know why the world is in the shape that it's in? Because the church has not testified about Jesus the way that they should. Last Sunday night at the Grammys, I was sent this by someone and then I began to uh, look at it. Last Sunday night at the Grammys, probably y'all heard about this, there was a very satanic performance that took place. Now, I don't watch the Grammys, I never have. I could absolutely care less. But in order to understand the uh, a majority of what secular, secular people are doing... Here we have the Grammys. Very satanic performance. And it was, it was performed by a man by the name of Sam Smith and Kim Petrus. And they sung a song titled Unholy. Anybody hear about this? Raise your hand if you did. They sung a song called Unholy. In their performance they dressed as to represent Satan and his demons. They brought on stage whips. They brought on stage cages. Their attire was that of red clothing that looked some, some type of, of like plastic or it was just like a, a fake leather or whatever it was. But it was tight plastic sporting devil's horns with smoke while huge flames heated up the set. As they sang this song, this performance, unholy. They won a Grammy for the best pop duo group performance. Now don't call me an old fuddy-dud because I don't like secular music. There's plenty of songs that are secular and not Christian that I think are fun. But guys, when people come out and they are sporting it blatantly... That they are on f- in favor of Satan. And this is what they are trying to represent. Our country has a problem. Amen. Plain and simple. Our country has a major, major problem. Amen. Sam Smith, a man, said this. This was the guy that was singing. A man said this. I'm the first transgender woman to win this award. You pay attention to what I'm telling you. He says this, I'm the first transgender woman to win this award. And he said this to cheers and many of the musicians in the crowd giving him, her, a standing ovation. When the lady that was with him did a report backstage, Kim Petrus was asked about her performance, she said it was inspired by not feeling accepted by religion. It gets better. She said in her interview, she is portrayed as a kind of hell keeper Kim. Satan's helper. 
Do we see the importance of speaking about Jesus today? I would have never thought that I would be seeing the the foolishness that we see today with this transgender thing exploding across the globe. We're dealing with it now. We were born in this lifetime to deal with these problems right now as a church. We were not born a hundred years ago. You were born at the time that you were born for the Lord to do the work that he's called you to do. And it just so happens that we are presented with this junk. That my children will be be facing this head on in the world. It has to be addressed from the pulpit and it has to be spoken on. The satanic activity that's in the world is beginning to grow faster and faster because Satan knows that his time is limited. His time is limited. The gates of hell will not prevail against the church. It will not happen. Satan knows that his time is limited and so he is coming out. He is unmasking himself and he's doing it through all these different people. Wickedness is spreading all over the globe at a rate that we've never seen before. And it will continue to do so if the church cowers down and does not speak about Jesus. We are here for a reason, each one of us. All of Christ's servants have been given the gospel to share to the world. All of his servants. I don't believe this is about countries rising up against countries even though that's going to happen according to Scripture. What I see is the kingdom of God in a direct head-to-head fight against the kingdom of Satan. And you better pick which side you're going to be on. The good news according to Revelations in chapter 20, we know we win. What's even better is Satan knows that too. This is why it's so important to speak about Christ. Satan is ramping up his troops for an onslaught against the church, and we must be ready. We must be ready. God's saints better be ready to fight in the Spirit. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over the present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up, we are supposed to take up the whole armor of God to stand in the evil day, and the evil day is now. And the church is going to be required to stand. I promise you that. Don't be ashamed of the Savior. Now I went off of my my topic here, but I think it's important for us to see that we, we cannot be ashamed of the Savior. We have to testify to Him. The Lord has given us the gospel message. He has given us that lifestyle. Everybody talks about a lifestyle that they want to live nowadays. 
All these pronouns they want to call themselves by. He's given us a lifestyle. It's called the gospel lifestyle. And we're supposed to live by that. Sharing the good news to those that we come in contact with. And what is the good news? Jesus saves. Jesus saves. He can do away with sin. He can do away with anything that you've done because he saves. His blood is sufficient. We have to get it together. If there's ever a time to be ready for battle, it's now. You don't ever see the troops of Satan buffing against him in the Word of God, going against him, saying, no, I'm not going to do what you tell me to do. You don't see that. Why is it that God's saints are so timid and so shy today? It's not good. We need to step out. I think we need to come out of the closet. You understand what I'm telling you? Closet Christianity is for the birds. That, 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 doesn't, that, doesn't, that goes against what God has called us to be. Verse 24, listen to what it says. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit. Let me stop right there. Before we go any further, let's pay careful attention to how the saints of God do things and how the Sadducees do things. Back in verse 15, if you go back, you will see that the Sadducees, the Sadducees, they did not go to the Lord first. They were supposed to be the most religious, but yet they conferred with one another. What does that mean? That means they sat down and they asked each other what they should do. But the very first thing that the disciples do is they don't confer with one another. They confer with the Lord. They take it to the Lord in prayer. I mean, there's all sorts of hymnal music in this this message. Jesus saves, Jesus saves. Take it to the Lord in prayer. There's all sorts of, what a friend we have in Jesus. Tell the name of Jesus. All of these songs, all of these things that we have that we should be doing. But they go to the Lord in prayer first. But the Sadducees don't do that. You see the difference? And I'm not not talking about not listening to wise counsel. I'm talking about they see a problem. They're being threatened. So the first thing that they do is they go straight to God through Jesus Christ and they pray. Do we see the significance in prayer? They lift up their voices to God in prayer. Y'all paying attention? Prayer is, depending on where you're at and how you pronounce it, prior, prayer is critical. Prayer is critical. 
It's speaking to God through Jesus Christ. It's speaking to Him. The one that created all things, we can speak to Him. We can call on Him and He'll answer us. Sometimes it takes Him a while to answer. Sometimes He answers us before we even get the words out. As He did here in this situation. We can pray anywhere. My mother used to ask me, did you pray about it? Now she's going to hear this and she's going to laugh while she sits in her chair. Because she's going to listen to my sermon and she's going to be sitting in her little chair. And she's going to hear this and she's going to, she's going to cackle out loud. But she used to ask me all the time, did you pray about it? And I seemed to, couldn't get away from it because now Casey, my lovely wife, asked me the same thing. Did you pray about it? Did you pray about it? Prayer can be hard at times. It can be hard. We're to strive in prayer. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man overcomes or avails much. We're to strive in prayer. It can be taxing. It can be draining. But without it, you can be very easily drying up on the vine. If I never tell my wife that I love her, if I never tell her that, how much I care about her, that love, that relationship, that fellowship that we have between one another, is going to become greatly smaller. If there's no communication between us two and the house is all out of order and our children don't see it, that love is just going to, it's going to be smaller and smaller and smaller. It is absolutely critical that we go to the Lord in prayer. We have to. It's not just asking for things. It is speaking to Him. It's a dialogue where you speak to the Creator and He speaks back. Where He shares with us how much He loves us. He shows us and He guides us with wisdom and He gives us the knowledge that we need and the discernment to do the things that we need to do. It's speaking to Him, but if we never do it, we're just like a wandering star out there, not tethered to anything. Without a clear direction, prayer is essential. It starts with a dialogue between the Creator of heaven and earth and ourselves. These early Christians lifted up their voices to the king and the king responds. This is one thing I love about our king. They lifted up their voices and he responded and he did it, he did it quickly. Before we go asking advice for wise counsel from others, we need to go to the wonderful counselor first. Amen. 
Notice next at what they prayed. Notice next at what they prayed. They begin with this. Sovereign Lord. <laughs> you, want to get, you want to get his attention? You started off with Sovereign Lord. Why? What does that mean? Supreme Ruler. Absolute power. Sovereign Lord. I have 15 stars out next to this next point I'm fixing to bring out. It's pretty important. You might want to write it down. 15 stars, by the way. Sometimes I just go up to five. And then three and then two, maybe one. I got 15 on this one. This is how the disciples start their prayer. Understand this. There is truly no way to serve the Lord without admitting and believing Him to be sovereign over all things. Do we get that? Let me read it one more time. There is truly no way to serve the Lord without admitting, confessing, believing Him to be sovereign over all things. If we cannot give Him that due glory that He, is, that he deserves, if we cannot commit, admit that He is sovereign, then we're not placing Him in the preeminence. We're not placing Him in that first spot as all-powerful King. And we have to. Let me explain to you what I mean. He is either our supreme king with absolute power or he's not. There's no middle ground with this. We must... Do we, do we understand that? Like he should take the cake. He should win the day in our lives. He should take the preeminence every single time. He is absolutely sovereign. He is supreme. And if you can't admit that, it doesn't change the fact that he is still sovereign and still supreme and still absolute over all things. It just means you can't admit it. By acknowledging him as sovereign and believing it, it will change how we view everything. Some people don't like it because they like to be in charge. Believing that he is sovereign and believing that he is in absolute power does something to man. And I'll tell you what it does. It strips him of his pride. It lowers him into a position of submission. Placing the king as our headship and not ourselves. We have to remember that he is in the heavens and we are on the earth. Let our words be few. He is there. We are here. All good and perfect gifts come from above. We didn't go up there and obtain it. It came down to us. But believing that He is sovereign, believing that He is all-powerful, all-knowing, everywhere, believing this, understanding that He should have the preeminence, when we find ourselves in that position where we can admit that and truly believe it, it will change how we view everything, how we interpret Scripture, how we see persecution in our lives. When we find ourselves in perilous times, in dire straits, 
being pressed down on every single corner. On every single corner. Understanding that God is sovereign is critical to getting through these times. Why? Because it takes our hand off of it, doesn't it? It says, Lord, you are in control. How many times have you said that in your life? Bunch, right? When everything's going good, we don't like to say that. Matthew's in control. Matthew's got it. But as soon as our trouble starts happening, guess who's in control? <laughs> as soon as he's diagnosed with pigmentary glaucoma, guess who's in control now? Guess who starts seeking out after the Lord a little bit harder? Understanding the position that he has. Me. Job chapter 1 and 27, you don't have to turn there, lost everything in his life. Everything that he had. Everything. One of the wealthiest men, one of the, one of the, one of the greatest in the land, and he lost everything that he had. And he turned to the Lord and he said this, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Why did Job pray this? Because he knew that God was a sovereign God. And he had a plan and purpose for Job's life. Regardless of what happened to Job and his circumstances, he could look to the creator of heaven and earth, to his redeemer, and say, Blessed be the name of the Lord. Because he trusted that he was sovereign. He trusted in it. Joseph, in the book of Genesis, was betrayed by his family, hated by them, left for dead in a dry pit, sold into slavery, slavery, charged with defiling a woman, thrown into prison, forgotten about in jail, but he trusted in the sovereign Lord. The Lord exalted him from the prison to the palace. And this was Joseph's word in Genesis 45, 5, 7, and 8. Listen to what it says in Genesis 45, 5, 7, and 8. All of the calamities that befell on, on, on Joseph. Listen to what he says about them. And now, do not be distressed. You sold me here. He's talking to his brothers. He says, don't be distressed. You sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. And then in 7 it says, And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. And then in verse 8 it says, So it was not you who sent me here, but God. You see how Joseph places him in that sovereign category? All the junk that happened to Joseph, and Joseph still called him God. It was God that did this. It was God that has worked in my life. I went through all of this because God had a plan and a purpose for me. I admit and I confess that he is sovereign. So the disciples, they start out with this simple, these simple two words, but it is so key that we get it. They confess sovereign God. They acknowledge it. They acknowledge it. I'm going to stop there. 
Before we go any further and before I get into them praying, I'm going to stop right there. Because there are people that we need to pray for. Hold on just a moment. <laughs> 